welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! This is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-7. through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we, um, we thank you for gathering us here this morning, and we're in awe of your mercy and grace and steadfast love that you would welcome us into your presence, um, even though we are riddled with, with sin. Lord, you, um, we remember that you have dealt with our sin through Jesus on the cross, um, and that restores us to right relationship, not only with you, but with one another. And we thank you, Lord, that we can worship you uh, for that today, for the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I just pray this morning that that truth um, would ring clear today um, as I preach today, Lord. Would, um, would your spirit be with me now? And, and Lord, that uh, this congregation would not hear my words or my thoughts, Lord, but that he would hear your word. Um, help us now to discern um, your word to us today as we read from this letter uh, from your servant Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. Um, Lord, would you help us now uh, to hear you and to hear the gospel this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, So when Jim told you that this is one of my earlier sermons, he meant that this is my first ever sermon. Um, And so I don't know about you, but um, if I'm in the congregation and I hear somebody tell me that this is their first time preaching a sermon, uh, I would feel a little bit like somebody who's uh, about to go under the knife for open heart surgery. And just as I'm going under, I hear the surgeon say, by the way, this is my first surgery. (laughs) Um, And I don't say that to disparage myself, um, but I say that uh, just to mean that when you do hear somebody preach, when you see somebody come up to this pulpit and preach from God's word, you should take it just as seriously as if you were undergoing open heart surgery, because you are. Um, At least I hope you are. So um, I definitely feel the weight of that this morning. Um, Definitely honored to do it, but I feel that. So 
So you may not be a person of faith and you may not think very much of pastors or preachers in general. Um, You may have certain questions or doubts. You may think, how do I really know that what you're saying is true? How do I know you're not just trying to manipulate me into something that I don't want to do? How do I know you're not trying to sell me something? Um, Are you really telling me what Jesus would say or are these just your words? Aren't you just a mouthpiece for the right or for the left? Why should I trust you? Why should I trust the Bible? So you may be somebody who does consider yourself a Christian and you may even have the same questions. And here's the thing, those are good questions. You should ask those questions. You should vet whoever uh, comes here to preach. And so if you do ask questions like that, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, if you have those questions, you probably have the sense that there are forms of preaching in the church that are not representative of what Christianity truly teaches or what it's supposed to be. Uh, Some have called this false preaching or false teaching. Uh, Specifically, Paul, in this letter to Timothy, calls it any different doctrine. He also calls it a different gospel. So false teaching can take on many different forms. There are, you know, the really obvious ones like the pseudo-Christian religions, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, what have you, um, crazy cults, prosperity gospel preachers. We're pretty familiar with those very uh, overt forms of false preaching. What about some of the less obvious forms? How do we discern that? So just to warn you, this isn't going to be a whistleblowing sermon. I'm not going to provide you with a litmus test for how you can tell for sure whether or not your pastor um, is preaching true doctrine or false doctrine. So this passage in 1 Timothy that we're going to look at today, it not only applies to preaching in the church, um, but you can apply it to the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the shows you watch, the social media threads you follow, uh, any other messages uh, that we take in day in and day out. Um, So my focus this morning is going to be mainly on verse 5 of this passage here in 1 Timothy, which says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Paul says that teaching ought to be marked by love and that this love is distinguished by a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So This is what the false teachers in 1 Timothy were straying from, and this is what I want us just to take a closer look at this morning. Um, So in the Liberty Collingswood tradition, I'm going to preach in two parts. Um, So the first part will be the marks of Christian love um, and the way of Christian love. So first, the marks of Christian love, and I'll be talking about those three things Paul names, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith as the marks of Christian love. Um, Just... Before I do that, I just want to give a little bit of context for this letter, 1 Timothy. So this is the first of Paul's two letters that we have in the New Testament written to a young pastor named Timothy who was leading the church in Ephesus at the time. This is actually one of Paul's three, what we call the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, specifically letters that Paul wrote to pastors. So we know from the text that there was some kind of false teaching circulating in the church at Ephesus at the time but we don't know exactly what kind of false teaching was going on. Paul doesn't really describe it. So while we don't know that for certain, what kind of teaching Timothy was dealing with, 
we know that the false teachers in this context were dealing with some kind of false understanding of the true gospel, just as Paul um, had dealt with in other letters in the New Testament. He says this in verses six through seven. He says, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, so desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Um, so even though they're confident in what they're saying, they're missing the mark of what the gospel ought to be. So I want to look at those marks now, starting with a pure heart. So what is that? What does it mean to have a pure heart? And as Paul describes it, a pure heart is one that is a pure heart is one that is made righteous by the atoning work of Jesus, so that the heart is no longer ruled by sinful desires, but by desire to live according to God's righteous standards as revealed in his word. Um, and we see synonyms for this in the Bible. We see undefiled, uncontaminated, um, refined. So it's not just about how we need to stop doing bad things and stop sinning, but it's about how we need an inward transformation of our desires. So we need pureness of heart in order to be in a relationship with God. Um, the Old Testament uh, deals with purity. If you read the um, books of Leviticus and others in the Old Testament, we learned about all the requirements for ritual purity that Israel was required to have in order to be in God's presence in the tabernacle or in the temple. Um, but those outward signs of purity were meant to be an inward sign, uh, an outward sign of an inward reality. So Psalm 24 says it like this. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So purity is something that God must work in us, but it's also something that we as Christians need to carry out as well. Um, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says it like this. He, he says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so Paul is indicating there that um, if we are to pursue a pure heart, we need to do this together as a church. Um, it's an essential part of loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so then how do we discern whether somebody is preaching or teaching from a pure heart? Um, so to answer that question, I want you to think, what desires are they stirring in you? Are they feeding your desires for the things of this world? Or are they leading you to desire the righteousness of God? Are they leading you to follow your own heart, pursue what you think is right? Or are they leading you to put away impure thoughts and actions? Are they leading you away from being concerned about your sin, from shrugging it off, or are they leading you towards repentance? Um, and Paul also warns in this passage against false teachers who promote speculations and wander away into vain discussion. Um, often those false teachers will make you suspicious of those around you, including your own brothers and sisters in the Lord. So later in 1 Timothy, he says it like this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, 
and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So in essence, does the teaching that you listen to, does it draw you away from other unbelievers in suspicion and mistrust, or does it lead you near to them in love? So that's a pure heart. And then Paul talks about a good conscience. Um, and so what Paul means by a good conscience is one that has assurance of their forgiveness of sins and right standing with God, knowing that forgiveness is a gift of grace received through faith and not through works. Um, I just want to touch on that point for a minute. Assurance is a really crucial doctrine in our faith, and it's part of what makes the gospel the gospel. Um, you know, there's a difference, for example, between um, the way Catholicism and Protestantism uh, teaches this doctrine. And before I describe that, I just want to make clear that here at Liberty, we absolutely do consider Roman Catholics to be our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Even though we are a Protestant church, um, we should not um, regard them as uh, false believers um, just because they're Catholics. So having said that, I just... Um, want to point out one area where I think Catholic teaching falls short. So the Catholic Church does not teach assurance of faith. So in Catholicism, you can reasonably hope that you're saved, but you can never be quite certain. So this is why the sacraments in Catholicism, Mass, Confession, Communion, why they're so important, because they're presented as a means of grace through which believers can help ensure their right standing with God. Um, so here, here at Liberty, we're convinced by the scriptures that if you do believe the gospel, if you do put your faith solely in Jesus and his work on the cross to save you from your sins, and if you confess him as your Lord, you can indeed be certain beyond a doubt that you're saved. Um, and part of the reason why this is so important is that it, it not only helps us to reassure ourselves individually, but it helps us to reassure one another. Um, this is one of the ways in which we walk in love with one another. We assure each other that we're made right with God through our faith in Jesus and not through works. And I just want to emphasize that point. You may be listening, um, and you, maybe you come from the Catholic faith. I just want to just emphasize that if your faith is truly in Jesus, if you do believe he is your Savior, that he is for you, that he is your Lord, you don't have to doubt your right standing with God. You don't have to live in uncertainty and fear. Um, you don't have to depend on your works. Um, and just to give another illustration of this, um, we see a really beautiful illustration in this in the life of Martin Luther. He's one of the founding uh, fathers of the Protestant Reformation. Um, he was formerly a Catholic monk who lived in constant fear and anxiety about his salvation. Um, and through the scriptures, he eventually saw his salvation for what it was. He saw it as assured and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Luther even wrote a commentary himself on this very verse in 1 Timothy um, where it talks about um, a good conscience. And Luther says this, quote, it's a beautiful text. The aim is not to increase questions and to leave consciences unsure after all their difficulties, but to bring consciences to the point that they know this for sure. So then how can we discern whether someone is preaching from a good conscience? Do you come away from preaching feeling hopeless about your sin? Or are you assured that Jesus has dealt with your sin? 
do you come away from preaching thinking about all the things you have to do to be right with God? Or do you come away thinking about what Jesus has already done to make you right with God? Um, you know, and sometimes if we don't have that assurance, we can take a good thing like racial reconciliation, for example, something that we've talked about in recent months and, um, in our church. So do you see racial reconciliation as something that you have to work to achieve? Um, or do you see it as something that Christ has already achieved and is already achieving by reconciling us to himself? Do you depend on Christ for that rather than yourself? So that's a good conscience. And then we have a sincere faith. A sincere faith means putting our genuine trust and hope in the reliability and sufficiency of the gospel, not trusting in anything else. It means seeking to live out the gospel without ulterior motives. Um, so as one commentator puts it, he says, quote, Paul uses faith to denote the believer's personal trust in Christ through the gospel message. The goal of the Pauline and apostolic instruction is not merely love, however understood, but specifically the love engendered by personal trust in the God who came so that believers might receive and express his love. So um, an insincere faith is probably the trait we think about most when we think about false preachers. So we might get the sense that they have another agenda, that they're somehow being fake in the way that they preach the gospel. Um, there are preachers who even go so far as expressing doubt about Jesus and about the reliability of his word. Um, and that's something, if you recall a few weeks back when uh, we were preaching from First uh, Kings on our series on Elijah, Jim had alluded to this about how we often think doubt is preferable to certainty when it comes to certainty about something like religion or the gospel. Um, so even preachers can get caught up um, or other, others who preach from the word can get caught up in this kind of thinking. So then, how do we discern whether someone is preaching from a sincere faith? So again, turning the question on us, what are they causing us to put our trust in? So are we putting our trust in our efforts to do better, or are they causing us to depend on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are they, are you putting your trust, are we putting our trust in our possessions our status, our accomplishments, our comforts? Or are we putting our trust that God will provide all of our needs and give us the desires of our heart? Are we being drawn to ideas that sound novel and enticing and fit with all our preferences? Or are we being drawn to God's word and letting it challenge us, humble us, and reshape us? So that's a sincere faith, the marks of Christian love, then... Um, then we have the way of Christian love, and this section will be a little more brief. So how do we tie all these things together? So for one, Paul's letter to Timothy is a sobering reminder of the ways in which the true gospel becomes distorted in our world. And it's striking how this is already so widespread so early in the church's history in Paul's day, just as it's happening in our day. Um, and we can think of another way, number of ways that that happens. We're very familiar right by now with the alarming rates of polarization in our society um, along political lines, racial lines, gender lines, and otherwise. Um, and it happens in our church as well. Um, Paul's, Paul's call to Timothy, it's a call for us to 
resist the temptation to build up our own tribes or to align ourselves with ideologies that are not in line with the scripture. Instead, we're called to stir one another on towards purity, towards assurance of our good standing in Christ, towards maintaining our faith in Christ alone. Um, And Paul also presents Christian love, presents the gospel as a third way. So what do I mean by that? You may have heard the gospel described as a third way. Maybe you haven't. Um, So here's what I mean by that. So Paul, Paul doesn't hate the world. Paul isn't mean-spirited or rude or standoffish when he preaches the gospel. He doesn't um, paint the church as a separatist cult that needs to break off from the rest of the world while the rest of the world descends into chaos. He's not promoting that. In fact, Paul and Timothy, they're both preaching the gospel to the ends of the world, just as Jesus had commanded. Um, Paul's in Macedonia, Timothy's in Ephesus. Um, they're um, And Paul also emphasizes that the aim of their charge is love. It promotes everything they do. And this love extends not just to the church, but to those outside the church. So Paul doesn't hate the world, but Paul doesn't also want to be like the world. Paul does not compromise the truth of the gospel in order to be relevant. He believes it is indeed the one true way and doesn't allow for other philosophies or foreign ideas to seep in. And Paul calls those things myths and endless genealogies. He doesn't allow for that to come into his preaching. He says that the aim of his charge is love, but that it comes from, that love comes from pureness of heart, a conscience that's sure of Christ's salvation and from faith in Christ alone. It comes from those things. So Paul doesn't hate the world. Paul doesn't want to be like the world. So what's Paul's third way? So Paul realizes that he was born a sinner just like the rest of the world. Paul trusted in his own wisdom and his own credentials as a Pharisee, but in reality, he had no righteousness of his own. But God, in the person of Jesus, loved the world and entered into it to save sinners like Paul and like us. And it was Jesus that called Paul out of his sin and gave him a pure heart a good conscience, a sincere faith, all of those things overflowing from the love of Christ that now dwelt in him. So here at Liberty Collingswood, we aspire to live by the gospel as this third way. So we love all of Collingswood and the surrounding boroughs. We want to serve and minister to all people in our community, both people in the church and people outside the church. Um, At the same time, we're convinced that the gospel of Jesus is indeed the one true way to life. We believe that all of us are born into sin and that we need faith in Jesus and his work on the cross to have forgiveness of sins. We believe that his word is true and authoritative. And our love comes not from within ourselves, but from God who loved us first and gave himself for us. Um, And when we recognize that, just as Paul recognized that, we're humbled by it. And that's what motivates us to pursue these things, purity, conscience, faith, all in love. So friends, let's recommit ourselves in the season to a pure heart and a good conscience, a sincere faith, so that we can walk in the way of love and stir one another on in love, just as Jesus commanded us and just as it's his way. And so I'll end here with Paul's own words that he 
um, gives to Timothy uh, later in the chapter. So this is where I'll end. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.